0: My middle child. I talk about her a lot. She's this tiny little thing. Six years old, full of energy, super creative, willing to try anything. She's a super quick learner. She learned to ride her bike without training wheels after an hour of trying. She taught herself to rollerblade in an afternoon, and she's fearless. She falls and just gets back up and keeps going. She's just this super determined and amazing little thing. Sometimes maybe a lot of times that determination is a problem. She gets these ideas in her head about how things are supposed to go. And when they don't quite work out, which happens a lot for a six year old, it's like, watch out. Her meltdowns can be epic, full throated screaming, breaking things just to break them, hitting us and her siblings. She especially takes things out on her younger sister and it can get really bad really fast I was so worried that sheltering in place with no school, no friends, just us, that it was going to crank her up to 11. But the weird thing is, the opposite has happened. She's calmer, way calmer, and happier and kinder. Her younger sister, who before all this she claimed she hated, they've become best friends. They even hold hands as they play. They literally run around together holding hands everywhere they go. I keep taking pictures of them to have proof. And while I don't want to jinx it, I'm trying to understand why. And it's pretty clear what's different. Before all this, we'd wake up at six and it would be a mad rush to get the kids dressed, fed, and out the door in time for school and work. At the end of the day, the rush would just continue, baths, dinner, books, and bed. We always made time to connect with the kids together and individually, but not like now. Now we're all spending a lot more time together, doing stuff together, playing outside, riding bikes, hiking in the woods, playing games, reading books, all together, all the time. We've slowed down. We're more present. This isn't our normal. And it turns out that our normal, that wasn't working for my daughter. Turns out what she really needed, perhaps what we all needed was to get Beyond Normal. Beyond Normal explores what it takes to cultivate and maintain our well-being in this time of national and global crisis. My name is Tom Godfrey. My team and I at The Big Know are going to bring you conversations with thought leaders across different facets of health and well-being so we can understand and teach others what it takes to be well in today's world. We're nearing the end of this season of Beyond Normal, just a few episodes left. And we wanted to talk a bit more broadly about well-being and what it takes to be well. As a society, we've struggled with things like stress and security and connection and meaning well before COVID-19 came along to make it all even harder. We thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about what it means and what it takes to really thrive in life. My guest today has been researching, teaching, and writing about health and well being for over 25 years. Dr. Mary Jo Kreitzer is the founder and director of the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing at the University of Minnesota, where she also serves as a tenured professor in the School of Nursing. Along with her team of teachers, researchers, and clinicians, Mary Jo helps people approach health and well being holistically. So each of us can cultivate more of it in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Mary Jo Kreitzer, thanks for being with me today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Mary Jo, as I said before, you know, the struggle to live with well-being has been something we've all been facing well before all this. Can you talk to me about how you think about well-being? What is it? What does it take to have it?
1: Well, first of all, Tom, I think well-being is different for different people. And people, if we had a room full of people and asked them how they would define well-being, there would be a lot of adjectives people would use. They might describe well-being as being happy, healthy, prosperous, being in balance or alignment, content, peaceful, feeling safe and secure, connected to purpose. Um, So those are ways that people describe well-being. What the research shows us, Tom, is that there's six factors that really contribute to well-being in people's lives. health, um, having a sense of purpose, being engaged in relationships, um, being connected to a community, feeling safe and secure. And we also know that the environment has a big impact on well-being. And when I think of the environment, I think of not only the physical environment around us, um, but also nature as an element of the environment. So those six dimensions are big contributors, you know, of well-being. So I think the one thing that's really important to kind of think about is that health and well-being are not synonymous, that while health contributes to well-being, I'm sure you can think of people that are healthy, but they don't have well-being in their life. And the opposite of that is also true. There might be people that have incredibly compromised physical health, but they exude well-being in their life because they have a deep sense of purpose or are connected in relationships, you know, et cetera.
0: Well, you've identified these six dimensions of well-being. And if these were hard before, they're probably even harder now Are any of them more important than the other? And how might I prioritize these?
1: Well, what's really interesting, Tom, is I think these same six dimensions are important, but what we focus on has certainly changed. Um, And I'm sure you can think about this in your own life. And I'll just, you know, lift up a few examples and, you know, we can explore any of them. So, when we think of the health dimension, we usually think of what's really important our lifestyle behaviors, what we eat, how much we sleep, how much we move, manage our stress and emotions. Well, gosh, all of those things have been so impacted by you know COVID-19 in the whole area of you know healthy eating. What I really am stressing right now is the importance of planning ahead minimizing trips to the grocery store. It's a great time to be thinking about a plant-forward diet. For a lot of families, um, it's a huge kind of issue, challenge, slash opportunity, the whole preparing food at home. And so food preparation takes a lot of time, and it takes um, a lot of energy to do that, You know, with exercise, that's hugely impacted by, you know, COVID-19. So people that are used to going to the gym or their Pilates class or their yoga class, their running routine might be off. And we know that exercise has such an impact on our physical, mental, social well-being. It helps us sleep better, decreases our risk of disease. So it's a really important time for people to think of maybe trying a new routine. If you're somebody who's working at home, really critical to take breaks, you know, to get outside. A huge issue is um, managing fear and anxiety and emotions. So the important things to be um, thinking about are acknowledging when you're experiencing fear and anxiety, notice how it's impacting you, staying informed through reputable news sources, not indulging in 24-7 news. We know that there's a lot of research on purpose and having purpose is actually really very even connected to you know mortality. When people don't have purpose, they're at a higher risk of death. But what's important now, right now, really is shifting for people. People are rethinking their priorities and their values. So purpose is critical. The term social distancing even applies that we are, should be socially distancing from people. Actually, we should be physically distancing from people. There's never been a greater need, Tom, for social connection because the health risks of being alone are comparable to things like cigarette smoking, high blood pressure, obesity. So anxiety and isolation are huge. So lots of things people need to think about in that realm. Um, And then there's a whole area of, you know, safety and security. We have to really be thinking about what are the things we can do to maintain a sense of personal control or mastery. So we can't control the fact that there's this pandemic, but we can make choices about what we're going to do to keep ourselves and those around us safe. So lots of things to be thinking about in terms of these, you know, six dimensions of well-being.
0: Are there any practices that cut across these dimensions of well-being? Because I know that you and your team put a lot of focus on the research and teaching of mindfulness, for example. So is that a superpower? And if so, like how do I get more mindful?
1: First of all, I'll just define mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness literally means being in the present moment. It's not just a technique. It's really a way of being. There's a lot of research that we spend a lot of our time anywhere other than the present moment. We spend our time thinking about the past or thinking about and sometimes ruminating with worry you know, about the future. So it takes a lot of effort sometimes to keep ourselves grounded in the present moment. But what the research shows is that when we spend time in the present moment, it really does reduce our stress. It makes us less anxious, less depressed more effective, more creative, you know, and at this time when households are so disrupted, so it's disrupted if you're living alone, but it's disrupted also if, you know, there's parents that are working from home, there's kids that are doing school from home, and you described even the changes that you've noticed in your daughter. And in in your daughter's case, you're noticing really positive changes but I think people can, with added stress levels, be very, very reactive. You know, something happens, and because they're feeling stress and fear and anxiety, they react. What mindfulness um, helps us do is notice how we're feeling and then choose how we're going to respond. So if I notice how I'm feeling, and my kid is just annoying me or my partner or whoever. I can take a pause and sort of decide how it is that I want to proceed. You know, lots of reasons why mindfulness is a good practice to be cultivating.
0: I believe in mindfulness, and I've tried mindfulness and meditation, and I'm not good at it. I want to keep trying, but what is your response when you hear somebody say, I'm not good at that? And then are there other kind of non-meditative practices that might help with my well-being?
1: Well, the first thing I think I'd say, Tom, about not being good at it, one of the things that John Kabat-Zinn always says, I mean, he's the person who probably popularized modern mindfulness, is he said there's a reason why it's called a practice, (laughs) because it's a practice of a lifetime. So it's not something that you should try to think of like, being good at and mastering. It's a struggle every day on the mat. And he actually even talks after, you know, meditating for the many, many decades John Kabat-Zinn is that, you know, it's every day people that are serious meditators. Part of being on the mat and meditating is engaging in sort of the challenge and struggle of, of the practice. But the good news is, there are a lot of other things that can also help reduce stress, and certainly there are practices like tai chi and yoga, running. For some people, actually just being in nature can have a huge impact on their well-being. There's all kinds of expressive arts therapy. For some people, listening to music, or drawing, or you know, journaling, um, writing. So all of those, I think, can also be really effective practices. When I mentioned mindfulness and I said, you know, when you're in a reactive situation, it gives you a moment to sort of stop and pause. There's a practice that we sometimes talk about called the stop practice. And you can actually use this practice whether you are a mindfulness practitioner or not. And what the words literally stand for are when you're engaged in a difficult, tense, anxious situation, slow down, take a breath. Observe with compassion whatever's going on in the situation and then choose how you want to proceed. And so that's kind of a simple way to kind of think about, you know, how do you move forward in a challenging situation? One of my colleagues at the Bakken Center, our communications director, Kit Brashear, came out with just another really helpful acronym um, last week. And he, he talked about the importance of picking your words. Whether you're writing an email or engaged in a verbal discourse, engage with communication, bringing patience, intention, clarity, and kindness.
0: (laughs) I like that. Stop and pick. Those are good mnemonic devices to, to help us be more mindful and slow down. You, you referenced this a second ago, but I started this podcast with a story about my daughter and how this situation is making me recognize the real importance of slowing down or the value of slowing down and just being more present for her. So this experience is teaching me some things about what my family needs. And I'm curious to know what this experience is teaching you. What's something new you've started to notice in all of this that maybe you weren't aware of or hadn't um, been paying attention to before?
1: You know, there's a couple things I think that this experience has lifted up for me or, you know, reminded me of. And one, um, Tom, is that, you know, control is an illusion. (laughs) As much as we like to plan in life and we like things to be predictable, we can't always control what we experience, but we can control how we respond to it. And it's so easy at this time, I think, to focus on all the things we can't do. And I think it's, I'm finding it's really helpful to focus on all we can do. I mean, I wake up every morning still thinking, is this real? I mean, has this really happened And then I'm aware that I'm sheltering in place with three generations. I'm with my husband, I'm with a daughter, and I'm with a granddaughter. You know, again, realizing that control is an illusion, we have choices to make every day. Um, One of the things that we have found is so important is just good communication and planning, you know, to kind of keep everybody relatively on the same page. So I think that's one thing that has just risen to the top for me. And the other thing I think that has just really struck me as dire is sometimes the situation seems, and it feels like there's so many things that are uncertain and out of control, whether it's people's health or the economy or jobs, any number of things. I am so deeply moved by the goodness in humanity, and I think at times of struggle, it's so inspiring the way neighbors are taking care of each other. People are reaching out to those who need. I'm inspired by on social media, you know, the chefs who are not employed are teaching free cooking classes. The amazing both amateur musicians and professional musicians that, again, are just doing daily or weekly concerts. So. I think some of the, um, the real goodness of humanity was also emerging during this pandemic. And in many ways, that goes back to two of those dimensions of well-being I talked about. One is purpose. I think people are finding that maybe their greatest purpose is in reaching out and serving. And I think it's become so apparent, um, the important role of community. That we're in this together, and the only way that we're going to literally survive is by doing this together. And that it's a critical time for us to shift our orientation from one, that it's all about me, to it's all about we.
0: My kids go to the neighborhood school. It's a few blocks away. And the teachers are planning a parade today. And so they are all getting in their cars. They put together a map, and they're driving around the neighborhood, most of the kids that go to the school are within a certain radius of the school. So they, they sent out the map of where they're going, and then all the kids are going to go out with signs and stuff and line the streets and kind of cheer on the teachers. I think that's just a beautiful way of how they're trying to maintain the community of the school and also celebrate teachers and all that they're doing. So
1: Fantastic example. Fantastic example.
0: Well, Mary Jo, I'd like to talk a little bit more directly about what's going on right now. You're a nurse. And your fellow nurses are on the front line of all this. So, what does all of this make you think and feel for them? And what do you want all the rest of us to know about how we can care for those who are out there caring for everyone else?
1: Well, you know, my heart is really with um, all healthcare providers, um, including nurses who are on the front line. And what I've seen, Tom, is that um, there, you know, has been just a roller coaster of emotions. You know that people are experiencing. On the one hand, there's a deep call to service. And on the other hand, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was seeing and hearing about a lot of fear and stress and anxiety that healthcare providers were bringing with them, not only to time at work, but time with their family. But over time, Tom, I'm really seeing that that's shifting to having deep feelings about a loss as they are encountering patients in just unbelievable you know circumstances who are often you know suffering and are and are alone and are dying alone. And then that loss is really turning to anger and sometimes it's anger around you know the lack of equipment, you know, including personal protective gear that they need. And that is moving more and more to what we call in healthcare moral distress. And that people have just such a deep sense of inadequacy to kind of do what needs to be done. And long-term, I really worry, Tom, about um, the impact of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, PTSD. Because just like when you you are in a war zone, when you are in such harsh and difficult circumstances, it takes a tremendous emotional toll. So I think we really have to think of all kinds of ways to support our healthcare providers. And as a nurse, I'm really proud of the nurses in my profession. And I think one thing that has become really visible to the public is the amazing role that nurses serve in our society. They are the ones that are there at the bedside 24-7, literally from birth to the end of life. And so the contribution that nurses make has really become elevated, you know, and more apparent. But without exception, whether it's a physician that I'm talking to, you know, or a nurse, all of them have one request. And it's not just bring us food or um, call us heroes. The one request is stay home. I think that people that are on the front lines recognize how devastating, you know, this illness is. It can't be something that we take lightly. So even when the social distancing guidelines begin to be relaxed and workplaces begin to open and schools begin to open, it's going to be so critical that people still think about those um, basic practices of, you know, keeping distance, you know, wearing masks, you know, hand washing, those things that we can do not only to protect ourselves, but also to protect others.
0: We're getting to the end of our conversation. And I always want to end these uh, discussions with some sort of practice, something my audience can do right now or tonight to start working toward better. Do you have some sort of activity you can give us to work on to improve our overall well-being?
1: Well, Tom, one of my favorite practices to um, encourage people to adopt um, is a gratitude practice, and it's called Three Good Things. So once a day, either when you get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, Think of three things um, that you're grateful for, and if you care to, write those things down. And if you do write them down, maybe once a week or so, go back and look at what you've written down and begin to see patterns that are emerging in your life. Yeah, there's a lot of research, um, Tom, on um, the practice of gratitude. And in fact, when people practice gratitude, you know that really does have a profound impact on their well-being. It reduces their stress, it reduces their anxiety, it helps them feel more, you know, connected to other people. So three good things, easy practice costs nothing to do.
0: <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> well, um, definitely uh, one of my good things is Mary Jo. That brings us to our close. I want to thank you for joining me today and taking the time. I always enjoy chatting with you.
1: No, yeah, you're very welcome.
0: So Mary Jo, if people want to connect with you or learn more from you or the uh, Center for Spirituality, how might they do that?
1: They can reach out at the Early and Center for Spirituality and Healing. We have a website, um, Tom, www.csh.umn.edu. And there's a COVID 19 resource page. And so there's lots of information, whether you're a parent or a person in the community, a healthcare provider, or a leader, there's helpful tips. And then we also have a website called Taking Charge of Your Health and Wellbeing. And we have a lot of resources there on practices that will improve well-being in your life. And we also have a lot of COVID resources there as well.
0: Well, thanks again, Mary Jo. And we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to learn more from Mary Jo and her team at the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing at the U of M, Being by The Big No offers two courses taught by them. In one of them, you can get an overview of Mary Jo's six dimensions of well-being that she just talked about. And the other, members of her team help us understand and practice the art of mindfulness. Look, I know what we all want. We all just wanna get back to normal. But we have to accept that normal, that's over. And if we really think about it, for a lot of us, normal wasn't working in the first place. Normal was stressing us out. Normal was making us sad. Normal was making us sick normal is holding us back from having the lives that we deserve we can do way better than normal let's get beyond normal beyond normal is a production of the big no where renowned experts teach the skills of health and well-being on demand you can learn more about our licensable and custom health content solutions at the that's the big kno beyond normal is produced by nate matson assistant producer is tmr Our theme music is from premiumbeat.com. The show is edited by Damon Kaler. I'm your host, Tom Godfrey. Goodbye.